Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Dr. Eduardo D'Souza, and he is currently a tenured professor at the University of Tampa. He is a co-author on the recent NS paper, the famous 52 sets of quads paper that I recently had Brad, Milo, and Pac on to dissect. And obviously that looked at various volume amounts for hypertrophy on the quads. Now, Eduardo reached out to me as he was interested in expressing his take on the paper and his take on kind of the literature as a whole as it pertains to training volume, because he has also worked and is working on several papers looking at the relationship between volume and hypertrophy and strength. So today we are going to discuss things more broadly and look to understand the caveats in training volume research for strength hypertrophy before diving into some practical recommendations and guys i think this is going to be a really really great chat or rather i've already recorded it it was a really great chat where we really dig into those caveats and i think this just gives you a broader understanding of when you are seeing this research whether or not you're digging into the paper itself you're reading a research review you're listening to a podcast or do you just see something on social media how to take that and move forward with it. How does that inform your coaching or your personal practice to your own training? And guys, as always, it's highly appreciated if you give us likes, comments, subscribes, ratings, reviews. If you can do that on whichever platform you're on, listening to this podcast, it's highly appreciated. That's how we grow, especially for people like Eduardo, who this is his first time on the show. So if you can share this around on social media, tag me, tag him, it's gonna help more people get more awareness And I think it's just greater for everyone in terms of that education within muscle hypertrophy. But guys, without further ado, let's get into the chat. Eduardo, we are here today to discuss the caveats in training volume research for strength and hypertrophy. And the first thing I wanted to ask you was why you thought that is an important topic to cover. Well, that's first of all, uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, really excited to be here. And I, I like to say that we all have a biases and uh, because we work with a different studies or, or products, in my case, I'm a researcher studying training volume for a while, but I like to say I don't have any conflict of interest when it comes to what I'm gonna say here in the show. I don't sell products related to volume, ebook, Bibles, whatever. I don't sell any product related to my research. So my what I'm gonna share with you is my opinion about the, the research and, and how it can help people to get stronger or bigger, for example. That's that's what, what I'm really interested to uh, at this point. So uh I think it's important because social media plays a very important role disseminating information, and sometimes people get confused about how to use information or just one part of a study. We have the culture of the last study, right? Once the last study is published, uh, we should do that uh, based on on, on social media sometimes. Oh, that's the the new finding. Uh, Forget what you're doing and start doing that. And I think when it comes to the caveats is understand where a data is applicable and how a paper alone does it not carry the weight to change predict application, decision make, decision make for athletes, coaches. I, I think it's really important to help people to train better, more effective, and more efficient efficiently. I think that's why important. Uh, we we researchers we don't do a good job as communicators. 
Uh, but uh, I think it's really important to understand the caveats. How uh, should I do 52 weekly sets? Uh, does 12 sets, uh, does 12 sets do the work as well? So try to point it out how apply research in practical settings. Again, what we do is applied research. Every research project I started, the question started when we are lifting or reading research about uh, lifting, exercise science, resistance training. And then we need to advance the field proposing good research designs and answer good questions that are important to people in the, the applied settings. Uh, I think we researchers, we, we need to do a better job here, but we can talk about that later. For sure. So it sounds like you think, at least my understanding of that, the reason it's important to understand the caveats is because people who aren't researchers are maybe actually seeing the research and they're, they're not reading the paper, let's be frank. They're just seeing like a, a meme maybe or like a just a, a post that's giving the highlights on social media. And typically, if you want to do well on social media, you're making it sound kind of a, a little bit black and white, a little bit extreme. So it gets the clicks and the likes. And I think you're saying, hey, it's important to know the caveats because if you are that person on social media digesting this, it could leave you astray. Like, hey, like you said, now it's 52 sets. We should be doing this to maximize growth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it is, that's the exactly what I meant. Like, uh, uh, I think people see the meme or the, yes, yeah, social media sometimes they, people need to be black and white. Uh, yeah, there's so many nuances, characteristics about studies. Uh, we, right, we have been doing this for a while and reading. So when they see one data, when, when the, we publish one data, like the last paper I published was the, the infamous uh, 52 weekly sets paper. And uh, we, we did a very good job, uh, in my humble opinion, in the discussion sec section pointed out that uh, it seems to a, to a certain point, uh, uh, people should not benefit from extreme high volumes. However, we talk about average and every study, when they show the individual responses, we see people responding very, very well, regardless of the volume, high, moderate, or low. And, and, and again, like, uh, uh, what is the, when you look at the last study published, uh, absolute change, was that way different from previous study? What about the, the, the meaningful effect uh, or the outcome? Like, uh, is that different from previous study? I just, it's the same, like when it comes to being a coach, uh, there's so many variables to consider. Uh, interpreting research is the same, it goes the same way. I can totally see that. And, and it's also like you mentioned, this is one study. What does the rest of the body of literature look like? Has it actually changed anything? Uh, because obviously I had, uh, as you know, Brad, Milo and Pac on, and we kind of went through the paper, talked about it mm -hmm. all. And then the, the conclusion was like, so recommendations for set volume, have they changed? Like that 10 to 20 practical recommendation that you're often here. Now, essentially all of them were like, no, I think that's still, this this paper doesn't really change that practical recommendation. Now, I I, I agree. Uh, it, it For me, the, the, the question at this point is like, uh, and based on, I, I can share some unpublished findings we have under review now. But uh, for me, it's, it's like, a, it's still very divided whether uh, 
people need high volume to max out growth uh, uh, and, and strength adaptations. So, and again, it goes back to the, the caveats. Like uh, we have a two studies at this point, like uh, that they clearly show the need fact that high volume, Schoenfeld 2019 and Brigato 2020 something, I guess. Brigato compared 16, uh, 24, 32 sets. Brad, if you look at lower body, um, they ended up with a 45 sets, the highest volume group, and they clearly show an effect. But again, when you look at the outcome, the absolute change is very comparable to studies that used lower volumes. Uh, it, it's like if you look at the muscle thickness change, uh, it, it, again, it's similar to studies from my lab with a 12, 18 weekly sets. However, every time you look at individual responses, some people did very well with a high volume. So the NS paper, uh, it shows, uh, again, there was no statistical differences between uh, the groups. And uh, we had a slight advantage we pointed out, but the uncertainty was limited. We kind of, we, we took more conservative approach because when you, I think again, at the discussion, we worked that out uh, information from different papers. But uh, to be honest, and, and again, like, uh, most of studies they have a focused on quadriceps so you think about but can can we extrapolate data from 52 sets to biceps triceps we we can't at this point uh and uh, again uh, i think brad because brad the the paper from 2019 they counted indirect sets like they, they counted compound movements like a cable roll uh lateral pull down i really don't recall exactly exercises but they counted as uh, direct sets to uh, towards the, the the biceps, for example. Then I have a a, a famous paper uh, from Housegrave. I, I always bad with pronouncing the author's name, but uh, was bicep, and they used direct indirect sets towards the biceps, and they compare nine, eighteen, twenty-seven weekly sets trained people. You're talking about trained individuals. And they found no differences. Uh, Brigato that found a linear response for lower body uh, when they look at biceps, no differences at all. And, and again, we talk about, for example, Brad was thirty. The highest volume for upper body was thirty weekly sets. Uh, the Brigato was thirty-two, and the group that did the most increase for the uh, Housegrave study was the moderate aging sets. So I really think that most of people should get most of benefits around 10 to 20 sets. Do some people benefit from more or more intensity? And again, it goes back to don't be too sciencey here, but we, every time, you, how many times do you read a paper and you ask yourself, oh, nobody trains like that. And that's what you call ecological validity, right? The extent which a paper represents real world. And uh, again, like uh, there's a question, maybe not for muscle growth, but uh, do you need the same volume when you train at 90% of 1RM compared to 75? That's another question that uh, I don't have a good answer, like uh, especially when it comes to strength, that, that's a little, it's a different beast, right? It's more specific. But uh, Again, I think that is the the issue. Like I agree that at this point is divided because 
some papers favored moderate low volumes or no differences between low, moderate, high volumes. Uh, other papers, other two papers, like a, if, like a, they, they found clear fact. We have a Schoenfeld and, and Brigato, uh, and we have a Ennis et al., which I'm co-author, uh, that stays pretty much in, in like a in the middle. Uh, a slight advantage, but when they look when you look at actual muscle accrual in in centimeters, uh, the fifty two sets was one point. Just just share something. I have a data now. So if you look at absolute muscle thickness change for Ennis, was one point oh three, one point oh seven centimeters, something like that. They study from my lab with a control group group that did not change their previous volume. They got to the lab and they kept their previous volume. We can talk more about that study. In average, they were doing 12 weekly sets, average. Some people are doing more, some people are doing less. But we had the same muscle mass accrual than the group that ended up with a 52 weekly sets. Again, there is a huge individual component when it comes to training volume. How much someone recovers from different volumes, that's, again, I think volume is, is I, I, it's safe to say that 10, 20-ish sets, uh, 12, 25, I think we we, we should. Uh, is that worth it going for the dub of time to have more centimeters? That's something we need to answer still. Yeah, it's a really good, uh, several points made. The ecological valid validity is, is a really important one there. And it also comes back to your comment on, uh, well, when I think about it, are all studies made equal? Like you can even look at a meta-analysis and that's useful, but maybe there's some papers in that are more ecologically valid versus others, maybe some that are better done and ran. Like you had the two-week washout period, which I think is relatively novel for these volume studies, but that could be quite important for outcomes. Yeah. Like you said, like you, with your recent study, it sounds like you've actually just taken their baseline volumes, which I think is also an improvement uh, versus, hey, we're just going to Whatever you've been doing, we'll ignore that and just take you down yes. the route of whatever now. And, and again, like wh why you did that washout period? So, for example, uh, if you go back to, you see how it is sometimes it's tricky to, to, to make like a general generalizations from, from papers. So if we look at Brigato that found 32 sets, uh, group was better than 24, and they both were better than 16 weekly sets. Um, think about that. So they did a great job. Uh, something needs to get better when it comes to exercise, exercise science is reporting, transparency, and be more open. And then you can see what those guys were doing before the study. Because when you look at Brigato's study, uh, and that's something I always try to account for previous training volume. I know some people got that wrong. They, they say there is no physiological. We need to point that out. Whether or not previous training volume is a confounding effect on the, the actual study, we, we need to we need more studies to figure that out. But again, going back to Brigato, uh, the 24 and 32 weekly sets, in average, they compare they increased by 50 to 70 percent their previous training volume. Uh, if you look at the 16 weekly set, was the only group that decreased by 25%. Did more volume explain the benefit or one group decreasing what they were doing before explain the outcomes? 
you see how 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 it's important to to figure it out like and it's not again I know you talk about for a large audience that sometimes don't get so into that the nuances and and the the, the caveats of those studies, but it's the same like a, the two the two groups that increased at most, they were the only two groups that actually increased their previous training volume. The group that was the worst decreased. So uh, and then like when you did the all day study. Uh, that we were uh, one of the first to randomize the groups based on based upon their previous training volume. So when the guys got in the lab, they filled that out uh, information about their training volume for two weeks, and then they figured that out how many sets they, they they were doing, and then he randomized based on that, like uh, how many sets they were doing, and we had the 12, 18, and 24 weekly sets. So my goal there was to start everyone with the same baseline. We still had the same issue. People in the 12 weekly sets, they actually decreased their previous training volume, uh, but we didn't find any differences between, um, between the three groups. However, when I did an exploratory analysis to, to look at those who grew muscle at most, the, the largest hypertrophic effects, those guys who had the best uh, gains, they increase in average six sets compared to their previous training volume. Uh, with uh, Anis, the last paper was like, okay, rather than randomizing based upon previous training volume, let's try to mitigate that effect. Let's do a washout period, decrease everybody, then they're gonna uh, little by little progress all the way to 22 sets, and then everybody starts with a 22 set. So again, we're trying to, we're trying different ways to, because like I said, I, I think it's really important when it comes to research design, start the groups very balanced or the just trying to, everybody has the same start line or the same baseline. I think that's really important. If you don't know if a, something plays a role, we need to account for that regardless. I think that's, that, that's my mind as a scientist, uh, how it goes. And that, again, we're trying different ways to account for previous training volume. In my most recent study, there was a follow-up for uh, the all-day study. What we did was, all right, one group gonna keep their previous training volume. Average was 12 weekly sets. We have some guys doing like a lot, 40 sets. Some guys doing six, eight, but average was 12. One group increased by uh, 30% their previous training volume. And the average was almost 20 sets. And the other group increased by 60% their previous training volume. And that was an average of a 25 weekly sets. The group that increased at most, like I said, the group that showcased very similar growth compared to Anet's 52 weekly sets was the control doing an average of 12 weekly sets. So I, again, uh, uh, is uh, is a lot to take if you look the the whole. I, uh, to be honest, I, I have a more questions now. <laughs> when I started studying training volume, I, I think again, yeah, and this paper does not change the 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 recommendation. I think 10 to 20 sets seem to be better than less than 10 sets. Uh, and now it's concerned about, again, we don't have a, too much data for different muscle groups. 
is, is that worth it going above above 22 25 like uh, going all the way 35 all the way 40 is that worth it for maybe half centimeter more gain and way more time? Is that's the the, the main question? Uh, um, I, I can tell you later the questions I'm gonna try to answer through my research, but uh, that again we we trying at this point we have a Anis we have a Albe in that paper we tried three different ways to account for previous training volume. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that that was the reason we did that washout period. It was a lot of work that study, man. Alison, the the first the the PI in that paper was just his master uh, project. Was well, and, and I can't spoil, but we were doing very similar for women. Oh, nice. Hey, there's yeah, one we, of the caveats, you know, gender. That that's it, totally like it is i i'm working on something on that as well like with uh, professor uh clayton Ibart from brazil uh clayton was the senior uh research in the uh do you remember that paper that increased 20 percent from previous training volume Scarpelli. Sure. so is the, the 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 senior for that paper uh we did I, I can't spoil but we did one leg resistance training and the other leg we measure muscle thickness throughout two menstrual cycles I can't spoil. We are writing. It was right open here because I need to finish my edits. Uh, and Alison, the PI in that paper, uh, is the only thing I can, I, I, I can tell you at this point. The 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 women they didn't go all the way to fifty two sets, but we did something similar progression wise. Progression wise, okay. we have something with uh, yeah, we have a cool cool stuff about gender uh, to be published soon. So we're excited about that as well. And you mentioned, did you mention that uh, like one leg was doing one protocol of set volume and the other leg was doing a different set protocol? Yeah, and that that's that was for the menstrual cycle study because one bias, right, is is like uh, oh, menstrual cycle change uh, body composition and potentially muscle size hypertrophy uh, in acute fashion, and that would be a confounding factor when women would be undergoing resistance training. What we did was one leg did the resistance training protocol for eight weeks. The other leg didn't do anything. And we just measured muscle size throughout two menstrual cycle and it's in their faces. We have our hormonal responses, uh, menstrual cycle analysis for uh, muscle cross-sectional area during those uh, menstrual cycle phases. And you're just writing this one. So now it's the final round. It should be submitted soon. Uh, Alison is writing he, because we are about to go to, to uh, ACSM. He's going to present that, that findings for the human, the, the women, sorry, uh, and progression. Uh, he's going to present at uh, ACSM. But he, he called me yesterday like, man, I'm struggling to write because uh -huh. we are writing so many studies about volume. It, it gets tricky sometimes. Like, I, I read. <laughs> go in circles like the the rat wheel like I'm doing a lot of effort stay in the same place like uh, yeah <laughs> i can see that and, and i mean the the really cool thing i guess we're doing like I, I was thinking about this in terms of one of the other things that can be a caveat is like genetics as in you see the averages but there might be some 
people on here, like I think one of the measurements, or there may have even been more than one on the NS paper where people lost muscle on the 52 sets. It's like, what, what was happening there? And to know, like you said, everyone's got individual differences. Yeah. If you, if one leg or one arm did one protocol and the other side did the other protocol, you kind of, you take care of that maybe genetic component because it's all in one correct. individual. That's the reason sometimes, again, we, we are losing when it comes to ecological validity because nobody does always unilateral, but we are accounting for something that needs to be accounted in order to understand the effect of training A and B on muscle growth strength. So again, sometimes we go, that's the reason you, you pointed out very, very well. Sometimes we go to what you call the intra subject design uh, to account for the genetic variability that is, it, it plays an important role as well. So yeah, that's, that's, but again, it, it, it kind of uh, decreases the applicability of the data because nobody does only unilateral, but th those research uh, designs, they're, they're important. Yeah, that's very true. I can't remember the last time, like for leg training in particular, like when did I last do <laughs> very much unilateral work and not very often. Yeah, but... no, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I remember, I'm not a big fan of unilateral because for me, it's always time. Like I, yeah. I, like, I like the joke, like the 52 weekly set study, uh, uh, it, it doesn't fit my lifestyle at this point. <laughs> I can't, because the guys were staying pretty much two hours by the, the, the last two weeks. And again, right, like uh, so many, you know that, Stevie, so many people just, oh, 50 weekly sacks, but they forgot or they didn't read that people did a washout, slowly progression, started with a 22 sacks, and they progressed throughout 12 weeks to get only at the last two weeks with a 52 weekly sacks. So it is doable. You can do it. But uh, uh, again, and people are like, oh, 52, no way, nobody can do it. That's crazy, but it is it is what it is, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think they also forget, hey, it was it was just the quads, like and there was a little bit of like uh maintenance volume for hamstrings, upper body, I guess yeah. who knows? I don't know if you know have any insights into if, if people are training their upper body. Um, but it's also their short rest periods as well. And I think a I don't know. I think quite a lot of people training with hypertrophy rest longer, maybe because they've seen some of the research that says maybe that's favorable. Whereas yeah. they're like short rest periods here. Yeah, it was was a little longer than, for example, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Schaffel 2019 they used 60 seconds training to failure. Uh, Brigato, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I I think they used something around 90 or 60 seconds training to failure, we use a little longer, but we can say that it, it might be shorter compared to some people doing hypertrophy training out there. Uh, that's that's another important thing, right? Like we did the, the two RNR, uh, some studies that I think most of studies, they, they are using that. Because again, that's, that's another, that would be another, another huge discussion, right? Failure or not failure. <laughs> so, but, uh, um, uh, again, I, I think it's fair to say that nobody goes to the gym and perform every set to completely complete failure. And uh, that was the reason we we started to to use because I, I think the first study was the housegrave with the biceps, 9, 18, 27 weekly sets. They used the the two RNR. And then we started as well. And again, like the like I said, if you look at the absolute chains, 
in studies with a two reps in reserve compared to studies that did out to failure, everything looks very, very similar. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that that's that's another important um, important thing to to consider. Yeah, it's. I think it's when you're looking at research, like a lot of people will be able to reflect on like, oh yeah, you shouldn't use like rat studies to necessarily inform how we should eat as a human, but it's similar here. Like who are the subjects and what are they actually doing in the gym? Is that similar to what you're doing? Because yes. that's where it can quickly, I think a lot of people are thinking, oh my gosh, like I leg press that many sets, I'd just be completely destroyed. There's no way I could do it. But I think they'd be surprised if, again, it was isolated to quads, you built up to it over time, you were doing the same protocol, you'd be surprised you'd be able to kind of get through that. Yeah, they, I think that's 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 very, very nice thing you said. Um, and uh, since I got that UT, uh, was 2014 as a postdoc, and then I started as a, as a, as a faculty here, uh, 2015, like uh, consider data from the lab and collaboration. I think we probably won the lab that did most studies in trained people in the last few years. Maybe talk about 250 participants. Again, for me, always the, the like you said, like uh, for me, we always have inclusion criteria, like uh, not just train experience, squat, parallel squat, they need to perform 1.5 times their body mass bench, they need to bench 1.2, uh, that's inclusion. If you can't, you're not getting the studies. So every every time we, we, we do that, uh, in those studies, I, I it, it would, it, it surprised me how trained people handle the, the, what we consider, no one can do it, they, they do. Uh, I, I remember we did a study like a 2018, we did a, like a, we were comparing and that was reps to failure was uh was two sessions like a flat uh bench incline bench uh five by ten and we compare superset uh pre-exhaustion force rep uh we comp to traditional and we compare acute effects on muscle activation uh muscle swelling and training volume and perceive exertion and recover so they did they did a session one again was 10 sets to failure five flat bench five incline they rested for 48 hours they repeated so that's what was a cool thing was a cute study but you want to see the repeated effect my thought was man performance should go down we had a trend towards significance to find increase in volume in session number two most activation was, was pretty much the same between so they handle it for just 48 48 uh 48 hours uh in between the, the sessions so again i think people would be surprised how trained individuals they they can handle things we we say yeah that's not doable yeah they they do uh i think that's all i learned and most i've been studying resistance training for 20 something years but the last again since 2015 most of my studies with trained people uh they handled they they can do it <laughs> yeah and i guess it, it comes to your question also here well it, it's another caveat i have in mind of like length of study like hey we're only looking over short periods of time they handle it in that moment but we're not training just for a week we're training for months and years long term like what do we want to do there and also the thing you pointed out is like yeah, it might take double the time to get that level of volume that's, yeah, going to provide some more growth, but the diminishing returns 
is it then worth it to the general person who's training in the gym just to kind of look better yeah. and feel healthier? That's yeah, th th that's correct. And, and, and again, we cannot generalize paper beyond its population, duration, uh, training modality or training method. We need to be very specific. I think the cool thing after like a, since 2019 with uh, Brad, uh, uh, Brad Schofield study, uh, Brad pretty much replicated a study from a colleague, in, uh, my colleague from Brazil, Hedges, uh, was very, but that time Hedges, he used like a Brazilian Navy, which not, they were not resistance trained people. But since Brad's study, we had a, way more studies. And again, everybody did the free weight squat. We can compare that. Most people did ultrasound assessment for similar type, a similar device, uh, similar way to, to, to analyze image. So now we can, we can look at, we can make that comparison. And I know, I know so many people are working on meta-analysis. We also work on some big data with a volume and use out that previous population because we have access to uh, information that's pretty cool to look at. For example, uh, just just we 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 finished the the point for duration. Uh, even Brad, if you look at the individual responses, some people I don't think for quads uh, because he measured VL and rectus femoris, but for upper body, some people lost muscle. For uh, and as he study was one guy who lost muscle in the 52 sets uh what we've what we've extend the training for four more weeks would you see more people losing muscle because again something that's important as well i think it's a misconcept not a misconcept uh we have a, the you heard of the the diminution returns or the inverted u response what is the point that you're gonna see the 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 performance going down? We we have we don't know that yet, and I think something that that was pretty cool that maybe the the biggest new finding from our paper with Anis was that hey you can slowly progress in 252, and you still benefit from that high volume. Was not det detrimental. So what what is the point that the 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 U makes the turn going down? Uh, now we have like before that study was bred forty five. Now we have a, that one average was thirty seven uh, weekly sets. But again, nobody mostly strength. Everybody got stronger. Uh, hypertrophy. Everybody got bigger. Besides one guy. What about duration? Would we observe similar outcomes? Maybe yes, maybe no, but we don't know, right? But I think that was something cool about Anna's paper that inverted U, we are far away from elucidate or, or representing what is the point when it comes to weekly sets number that the U makes the turn going down for hypertrophy and strength. And, and again, those guys were really strong. I think that... The average, uh, and that's another thing I'm concerned in, in the good way, Steve, is is a diminution return, is a, is a diminution returns effect, or stronger people, they are able to train for more loads, and they not necessarily need to go all the way with a high volumes. Why I'm gonna say that? Because again, if you look back the studies from my lab, 
we usually have a very strong guys. All base study, the one RM body mass ratio was twice. So they were able to squat, parallel squat twice. Uh, so the, the last study, the control group also their average one RM body mass ratio twice. So they were able to squat twice. The two studies that found hypertrophic benefits with a high volume, Brigato and Schoenfeld, their one iron body mass ratio was 1.3, 1.4. So it, it, they're not as strong as the, and, and, and it was 1.7 ish. So again, uh, that's another thing I'm very intriguing uh, at this point uh, that we're trying to account for that now. Does your strength, it's something you don't have a good data, like does your strength level impact your uh, hypertrophy adaptations uh, down the line? That's something we need to do better, but that's another important caveat. Like uh, the, to be honest, they the, the participants, when you look at Brigato and Schoenfeld, they were weaker compared to Ennis, Albe, and other studies. So that's, you see, man, it's too much, right? <laughs> I hope I'm not making that too slicing to you, but. No, no, it's it's good. And the, the inverted U was something I was gonna ask you about because I obviously brought that up and Brad was like, hey, I, I still think the inverted U exists. It's just, we haven't actually seen it. And it's, so you can't currently, I guess, say it's like an evidence-based uh, kind of fact that there's an inter inverted U at the moment. It's a logarithmic curve where it's just like tapering off. Uh, and we don't, we haven't seen that limit just yet, at least, uh, I guess, evidence-based in terms of studies. I, I think in yeah. practice, maybe uh, as a coach or as a trainee, you've maybe pushed it too far and you've seen it in yourself. Yeah. But again, it, 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 it's, that's, it's, it's really, it, it goes back to I agree for Brad there. Like uh, it, it might be a point that your it is the friend of the friend of friend of mine has an interesting saying that the difference between the the poison and the medicine is the dosage. And you know, even something that's bad, the moderate low dosage can produce benefits, right? We we know that, right? Uh, but uh, it, it, there is a there there is a there is terminology for that. I, I just don't recall now. I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember. But again, it goes back to how training people they handle more loads. Uh, but for sure, I, I think there will be a certain point that they can't deal with that anymore, or they might experience injury or decrease performance adaptations. But our study showed somehow that slowly progressing all the way to 52 sets in the 12 week span, no inverted U, no detrimental effect. I, I agree. I think there will be a point that uh, you can't uh, tolerate that. That's how your body works, right? Like uh, you, you receive a stimulus, it responds, it fights back, it adapts, uh, but we know that too much stimulus might be detrimental when it comes to volume, we have a no clue what the number, what the weekly set number looks like. But definitely there is something there. Uh, I, I agree. I, I agree that there will be a point you, you you make the turn and you get an injury or uh, decrease adaptation and performance. Yeah, and it, I think you mentioned really well that, hey, 
this was in the quads and it was a specialization and we have to realize that. And so they didn't see it in that circumstance. But if you're training everything, like higher volumes, you're pushing everything. Yeah, it's going to be very tricky and it's probably going to be different for every muscle too. Like some might be able to tolerate more volume versus others and benefit from more or less than others as well, as you mentioned already. I agree. Muscle and individuals. Uh, and I think, again, I, I like, I, I like the, the specialization thing. I, 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 I think that that's one way to put it that, yeah, maybe for a certain period uh, of time, you, you can uh, emphasize one muscle group. Uh, but again, we talk about quads. Should you do the same for triceps, chest? It, is, it, it goes back to the inverted U. I don't know. And would your, as I guess I'm trying to put a um, practitioner head on you or a coach's hat, would you, if you were trying to find that point for someone, if you were like taking someone through a specialization phase, would you keep, uh, if they were recovering and performing well, would you keep like slowly increasing the dose until they kind of met that point and think, hey, every, every increase I'm doing here for this person that's trying to maximize their tricep growth, if I add a set every other week and they're still performing I'm seeing we should until we hit like a, a point where now they're seeing drops off in performance and now we've kind of pushed it too far. We need to recycle maybe. Yeah, I that's a good question. So I haven't I haven't been doing coaching for a while, but that's that's very, very good question, Steve. Uh, I like to say there is there are some remarks when it comes to good training, right? It has progression, uh monitoring. Um, and testing, I, I think uh, again, uh, monitoring, testing, and, and progression. Uh, as long as you're applying those principles, I, I think the training should work. And then we start to deal with uh, inter-individual differences. But with that being said, because I would like a for that muscle group or for different muscle groups in the training phase, I would kind of uh, use some exercises as uh, the most important or not most important the fingerprint exercises i would use them for monitoring purpose and uh, if everything looking everything is looking right uh, as we are, we should be able to progress and the amount of work performance for those fingerprint exercises should also be increasing uh the moment you stop uh progressing uh, and I also look at, I probably would look at RPE and perceived recovery. If uh, that uh, uh, plateau, if at the moment that the things level off and then matches with, uh, yeah, lately the athletes not feeling recovered, uh, exertion is increasing. Ideally, we should avoid that point. Uh, but uh, I, I, again, I, I, I would not keep increasing, progressing. Because again, one, Progress overload is something very, very misunderstood because I, I think people usually assume that just put a more weight on the barbell, but you can just switch exercise range of motion. The same exercise for different range of motion or different uh, or switch exercises. Uh, there are so many ways to keep progressing. Uh, again, our body, our body adapts uh, it, to so many different stimuli. I. I don't think it's a good way to progressing always weight on the barbell, but monitoring the core exercises based on your goal, right? Monitoring the core exercises, 
uh, how those exer the exercise, the volume load, the sets times reps and load, how is they are progressing across uh, the fingerprints exercises. And now we check how uh, perceived recovery, perceived exertion, uh, also how they're going. And, and I, again, use more information for decision-making process. Uh, some people might handle for longer if you keep increasing. Some other people might, again, some people, it, might, it goes back to my studies where some people did very well with a low volume. Uh, some people did very well with a high volume. So again, I don't think always progressing weight on the barbell is the way to go or always progressing weak set number is the way to go. Uh, again, different people undergoing the same progression, the 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 same uh, throughout the same time as we we see for energy study, they respond way different. So it is keep tracking how your client athlete, how they're going towards the, the desired outcome. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with a the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change, sign up today and let's revive stronger. Yeah, I think something you mentioned there, something I like with my clients is because there is big difference in how uh, they perceive the level of work that they're doing. Uh, some people just, I don't know if they're more fast twitch dominant and they just don't need as much because they just generate so much stimulus. Whereas other people, they're like, hey, Steve, I had, don't know, I have 10 sets for this muscle group on the week. It barely feels like I've trained it. It's super easy. So maybe they are people where you're like, oh, okay, maybe you can handle a little bit more than this. But I think, as you mentioned, like progressive overload, yeah, it can happen in so many different ways. To so many of... different ways, right? There, there are countless ways to do that. So I, again, like uh, if your goal is hypertrophy, get stay on the variables we know they work, right? <laughs> uh, volume, it seems to be something really important until certain point, proximity to failure, in exercise variation, so I would focus on that if 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 my client is concerned about hypertrophy. Uh, so many new studies about training muscles at their lengthening position and how that in increases uh, uh, muscle growth. But again, something that I, I like exercise variation. We published the famous study in 2014 that we had one group only doing squat and the other group varying yeah. squat, deadlift, leg press, and lunges. And when you look at individual heads of quads, the two groups that varied exercises, they, they, they were the only two groups that out of four heads increased. If you, if, if you go back to the, the paper, I, I forgot the authors, but the paper with a seated and prone curve. Yes. We all know that overall volume 
uh, muscle volume because they, they measure the three dimensions. Muscle is a 3G structure. They, ma they measure the muscle. Now you're talking about muscle volume. So overall muscle volume, uh, or let's put it that, muscle growth was better for the seated because the hamstring was uh, uh, stretched, right, in the lengthening position. Uh, but when they look at individual muscles, for one muscle, prone was better. So, so, so again, uh, it depends. It, it goes back to monitoring and due progression based on the variables you know that work for a specific goal. Hypertrophy, proximity, and, and proximity to failure is tricky. We can talk a little bit about that. But again, stick to proximity to failure, certain volume number, uh, and uh, exercise selection. I would be more concerned. I would probably apply progress overload through exercise selection rather than more concerned about weight on the barbell, for example. It, it is, again, uh, and, and that's because we all talk about, I I don't even know that. I I hate the concept of a junk volume. I, I, I don't like it at all. And, and based on data, uh, I think, I, I think was uh, from, was they study for velocity-based training? They have a like a, they stop the set with a 10% velocity loss, 20 something, all the way to 40. 40%, just for giving an idea, 40% velocity loss uh, is pretty much failure. You you okay. probably have a zero rep in the tank. 10% velocity loss, uh, you probably talk about five, to be to be optimistic, five R and R. You have a five laps, five reps left in the tank, and guess what? They found growth. They found muscle growth, even though the set wasn't a harding, a hard working set. Muscle grew. Uh, they had a better results, going even more prox to failure, like a like a with a fifty percent uh, uh, velocity loss. But but again, like a uh, muscle can grow. Even though if you are training a set, like a, I don't think like only the hard sets work or count towards growth. Muscle doesn't think like that. <laughs> the muscle doesn't have it doesn't have a brain, but it, it does not operate uh, uh, in that way. That oh, now that's hard. They're going to start counting for that. Uh, it's, it's not like that. <laughs> yeah, junk volume. I guess it comes down to that inverted U again. Like the junk volume would be that right side where you're seeing diminished, like not diminishing returns. You're seeing worse results from higher volume where you're doing more work and receiving less reward. Kind of like yeah. the, the dose, the poison is too the, high. You have the right side, but you have the left side where you're assuming that not like a, not a hard enough sets would not count towards growth. It does. Like they study, again, do, does a muscle grow with uh, proximity to failure in the better scenario? Yes, the 50%, but again, if we stop a set for 50% velocity loss, you do more reps within a set, overall more volume, more work. But uh, I, I, I think that the right side of the curve, we would be talking about too much volume that would lead to detrimental hypertrophic and strength adaptations. I, again, for both, we, we don't have a good data there yet. 
Yeah, it's it's very interesting, and uh, I think it was Zach Robinson's meta regression showed like ten reps in reserve was even like providing hypertrophy. Yeah, there was exponential does, yes. as we got close to failure, but it kind of puts into question. I guess you see, depending on the level of training advancement, like if you're untrained, you're going to grow muscle cycling. <laughs> like there's, yeah. there's studies showing that. Uh, I guess proximity to failure probably becomes more important the more advanced you get. At least that seems to be what most people are thinking. And I, and I think they can gauge better what they have left in the tank and, and, and proximity to failure. I, I, again, like we know that when you work with uh, untrained people in their studies, uh, it's funny sometimes, I, hey, zero is nothing at all, 10 is your max, and they're like 11. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we see it's not that hard, was well, not that hard, but eh, 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 the, the bias goes all the way around when it comes to training people. Sometimes we see that's pretty hard a zero is nothing at all. Ten is your max RPE, and they give you like a six. Like, yeah. <laughs> all right, <laughs> and then you so that because usually uh, when you are training, we track barbell velocity because with barbell velocity that tells me how hard. So it's something we should do better when it comes to. Uh, we do. We, we we put every paper we publish. We mention uh, for the testing for one RM testing. We always mention the but. Not every training session, but kind of a, we randomly select people throughout the study intervention to track their barbell velocity to see are we are they really two reps in reserve? We we always do that. And, and again, cool. I, I think we are. I'm lucky to have a great students and, and great great trainers. So they, they are very good trainers. And, and uh, that's another thing that people. It's funny. Because the bias out there is like, uh, oh, uh, we don't know how to train people in the lab, or they don't they don't lift, whatever. And what a, you ask, like any researcher, ask Brad, uh, Clayton, only Bard, ask all those guys. Like, uh, what do you hear from our participants quite often during their training sessions? I never train like that because we train them hard, and that's and that's another component that. They studies like a, when you look studies with a supervision and unsup and and unsupervised training, they they show that supervision train tend to be better when it comes to to the outcomes. And that's a fact. Like I was talking to Brad, I think it was during the summer. I was talking to him about man, we need to find a way to account for the lab effect because there is an increase in proximity to failure and quality of working sets when people are training the lab. That's what happens. It's not the other way. It's not they get to the lab training easier or lighter. They, they train harder because we quite often, like I said, we hear from the participants, like, I never train like that. That's hard. And, 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 and again, like that, that lab effect is something that might explain some outcomes as well. I really like that that lab effect. The the way I often think about it is uh, in sleep research and they have people like in this huge get up when they're sleepy and they're studying them and I'm like, hey, most people aren't sleeping like this. So yeah. I, like it, it has that kind of uh, similar effect like, hey, th how applicable is the research then to the individuals? And I think to your point though, where most people are criticizing it because you're not training hard enough, it's actually counter to that. And again, there's research showing that supervision helps people with their results and their training. So that makes a, a lot of sense to me. And I, I just wanted to reflect upon some of the points you were making previously was, I think you're essentially making the point of like, hey, there's an art to programming and you don't want to like 
lose sight of everything and how each component like exercise variation proximity to failure volume they all play into one another and so you can't just like run down one route and forget the rest you kind of have to take into consideration everything it's similar with again the proximity to failure research yes training closer to failure led to more growth but it has to be taken into consideration with the volume research which also shows a dose response to volume so it's like yeah train as hard as you can with as much as you can uh, but there's only like you can only take that so far you have to kind of choose your poison a little bit uh, whether or not it's one or the other no yeah i i, I totally agree like there, there's so many there's so many ways to provide the muscles with a good training stimulus is there's so many and again like a Going back to to research, I think when when it comes to hypertrophy, uh, there's so many unknowns yet. But I, again, I, I think we, we started to to map out the the variables what you should look at. I think their research is, is helping uh, uh, people at the practical settings to 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 train better and, and, and get better results. And again, like a Performance is like everything in your life. You have a bad and good days, and that day is you are not training that hard. That's fine. <laughs> you should right the, the the good days you compensate again. It's a it's a trade off between bad and, and bad and good days. Overall, as long protein synthesis outweighs protein breaking down, the muscle should grow. Uh, but uh, when it comes to strength. That is the thing that we we mentioned before starting. We, we start uh, recording this for the strength. I, I think is where the the research is not helping. Like uh, because most of when it comes to training volume and strength, because again most of those studies, the primary variable or the primary outcome was muscle hypertrophy, and uh, when it comes to muscle uh, muscle strength. Like I like to say, like it's a different beast. Uh, specificity has a huge component, and all those studies. If you get the meta-analysis from Houston from 2017-18, if you look at the, those studies, I think only one study they did like a low rep schemes, but most of studies the average was eight to twelve. You look at the studies with uh, the after that meta-analysis, the the studies that we 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 had at this point. Uh, is we do like a low, uh, like a low rep, but it's not that low. It's six to eight, and then you do the high rep day. But again, most of those studies, they also using high rep schemes. That if you think about powerlifting, uh, I like to use a study from Mike Zurdos. Has a very nice set, a big fan. The famous study they did a they call modified daily undulating periodization. So traditionally, the, the people do hypertrophy strength and power day, and then they did hypertrophy power and the strength. So they kind of increase the, the recovery period between the high volume and the, the highest intensity. So if you look at that study uh, with a power lifters, uh, I think they start with, uh, again, they have a deadlift and they have a squat. Just counting sets for the squat, I think they started with a 15 weekly sets. They dropped by 40%. They ended up the last two sets with, uh, uh, they ended up the last two weeks with uh, nine weekly sets. But the intensity, they they progress every other two weeks, like a similar we did for the volume they did for intensity. 
but they ended up with a 92 or 95% of 1RM. So training volume for, again, every time we, we manipulate volume towards strength gains, we always are decreasing volume to increase intensity. And those studies, like I said at the beginning, do you need the same training volume? You train at 90% of your one rep max compared to 70? Probably you don't need the same volume you train at different intensities. So I think that, yes, for hypertrophy, like we said about exercise selection, uh, proximity to failure, uh, 13 weekly set number, we have a bad idea. Body strength, uh, I, I, I think you have a long way to go. And I like to say, Steve, uh, the the powerlifters they don't need us to get to get stronger. They figured that out already. We need to do our our job better to explain how they get stronger with a better research designs. The bodybuilders they don't need us to get bigger. They figured out that already, right? We need to do our research to understand how those things work, how different progressions lead to a specific muscle hypertrophy outcome. Again. Hypertrophy research, I think we are getting, especially volume and, and, and hypertrophy, I think we're getting better. We only, again, every time you're going to study volume, that's another tricky part. Everything is held constant. All the other training variables, you're only manipulating volume. That's not how people train for the strength. Like, uh, if, if, again, if you go back to the, the papers from Mike Zordos, uh, uh, it's six weeks, uh, pretty short. But what they did, they start off with a 15 weekly set squat, nine weekly sets deadlift. They ended up with a 40% something less sets and intensity way higher. So we need to start, we need to start having studies with a high, low, so high, moderate, and low volume, utilizing different intensities more towards strength adaptations. So we had a something to, to again, it is a little. We had a study, it's under review now. It's from Alison's work a lot, the, the guy from the, the 52 weekly set. He's putting a lot of work for his mentor. Uh, and uh, so in that study, what we did was very interesting. And again, the we had a, we need to take other things into consideration because we did an in-season study. We talk about, uh, was a American football team in Brazil of course, we can't compare American football in Brazil, uh, American football in Brazil with uh, uh, U.S. But those guys were highly trained, pretty strong. So in season, we had the, and then we have a data for bench and squat. In season, we had one group doing nine weekly sets, six, and three weekly sets. Rep range we used there two, four reps, so pretty heavy, two reps in reserve. The findings for the strength, again, way, way fewer, way, way less uh, 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 sets compared to Annette's 52. And the outcomes were pretty much the same when it comes to strength gains. They gain about 20, I think I wrote down here somewhere, the, they, they gained 28 kilos during nine weekly sets in season. And Annette's at all, the paper we published, they gained 27 doing 52 weekly sets. So you see like a, the, and again, we point out like if people read the paper, 
we 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 mentioned those things as a discussion that uh, especially when it comes to strength, uh, the data does not indicate that more is better for the strength, and and that's not how people train for the strength as well. So again, hypertrophy, I think we have a better roadmap uh, for strength, uh, especially when it comes to training volume studies on strength adaptations. Uh, I, I, I think we have a long way to go to, to provide people with uh, good practical recommendations. Do you think, so with the uh, obviously similar strength increase, 52 sets versus the nine, do you think it was just down to that specificity of they were training with heavier loads and that was what allowed them to gain that strength versus the 52 sets? I guess the loads weren't quite as heavy. Is it that specificity component of intensity that led to that better result? I... I think so. Uh, I, again, strength. So, just so I have an idea, like a, I, I, I have a really. I think I brought because I was, it's, training volume strength always always concern me. For example, today, I think the specificity that it's kind of something that's it, it goes against my argument, but or my reasoning. But to date, when it comes to training people, and let, let's think about training volume studies, the the highest strength gains ever reported was from Marshall et al. from 2011 and doing 16 weekly sets. Those guys were quite strong. Uh, uh, they compared four, eight, and 16 weekly sets, and they found 37 kilos. So it, it was the, the height so far, right? So if you look at, let me see, I think Albay, that, that the study from my lab, the, the best group well, when it comes to strength was the 18 weekly sets. was like a very, very strong to reach statistical significance. But again, uh, if you just look at absolute change, Albay with uh, 18 sets, they kind of had a 28 kilos. So if you look at, uh, I think it was Schoenfeld, the 45 sets group was right here, I wrote down, was about 20 kilos increase. Uh, our control group doing 12 weekly sets, the unpublished data. So the control group that kept the volume, their absolute gain was 32. And again, that effect, effect size is very, very similar. And then we go back to the, the, the data I told you with a nine weekly sets, they gained 28. So you see that, uh, that I don't know if it's, it's a diminution returns or there is no extra benefit for going to such high volumes when it comes mm. to strength. Because if you get Marshall, uh, 37, uh, if you got our study with uh, the American football players, nine weekly sets, uh, 28, Albay, 18 sets, uh, 20, 25, uh, 25 kilos, NS, 52, 26. So I, I, again, I think strength requires a, a, a more specificity, but I always and another thing that that studies that because I keep telling that those is, we are not helping when it comes to strength. Leg press actually does not transfer to squat strength gains. So if you have a study, uh, I think Brad is even a co-author in that study. They compare leg press only. Uh, squat, leg press plus squat, the effect of uh, leg press uh, on squat 
gains are negligible. Like it was was like a, it, 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 it does not change at all. So it's the same thing when you talk about counting direct sex for muscle groups. It's the same issue uh, when you look at those studies with uh, the people don't do only. I think only Marshall. Uh, they had the people doing only squat, but my studies, Schoenfeld, Ennis, uh, Ostrovis, which is a very old study, they all compare, uh, they all have a, like a leg press, knee extension, and squat. So maybe those sets from other exercises would call junk vomit for the squat strength gains because they're not helping at all. Uh, again, uh, I think strength for me, Strength gains are more specific than, than hypertrophy. Hypertrophy, we know that, right? Pick any rapid range, go side to failure, muscle you grow. Strength is not that simple. <laughs> I don't want to simplify. I know some people, I don't want to simplify uh, hypertrophy. But like I said, the strength is a different beast. And yeah. uh, when it comes to training volume, the way you are studying this topic is not the best way to to figure out strength gains in response to different weekly set numbers because the the things that I, I I told you I, I don't want to make people sad about it but I think again is I think that's important to consider yeah just being honest about the, the realistic kind of scope of the research right now and it's really interesting and I to be very clear when when you're reporting strength in those numbers that's a one rep max increase right. One rep max is, is squat. Yeah. One rep max, uh, free weight squat, very similar way tested. They, they tested very, very similar. Uh, we talk about people here. Uh, again, uh, like I said, Schoenfeld and Brigato, their one iron body mass ratio, one rep max squat, load divided by body weight. Uh, I think Schoenfeld was 1.3, Brigato 1.4. Uh, Marshall was 1.7. Albe uh, from my lab was two times their body weight. The American football players was 1.70 something, almost 1.8. So again, very, very strong guys uh, with uh, very, very same exercise tested. We talk about squat one rep max. But again, right. like you see that add, adding sets do not translate to more uh, strength gains. No detrimental effect. That's important to say, right? But- Just the plateau. Yeah, there's a plateau. But I, but again, right? Powerlifters, they don't train, they don't train the way you are studying volume, right? They don't do that. Uh, they never, for example, I have on my high rep days, 12 to 15. That's that's when the powerlifters do their cardio, right? So no, yes, <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> they don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. Um, I'm very biased because I'm focused on hypertrophy and uh, bodybuilding, so I'm I'm less concerned that the the research is not being super uh, clear yet for powerlifters in terms of set volume. Um, when we're talking about for um, hypertrophy, is there anything else that we haven't spoken about today that you think is important for the listeners to understand when they are looking at research that's coming out? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, again. Uh, if you look at the, if you take a, a, a broader look at literature, uh, we see that, uh, increasing volume, the, the, the extra muscle mass accrual and also the, the effect size, right? The, how, how 
we measure the magnitude of an effect, they, they are not so different from studies that used lower volumes. Uh, I, I think volume has a very unique and individual component that we can't make. I, I always I always struggle to make, there is one journal I don't wanna mention, they have a practical application section. I hate that part because for me, a good training, I forgot to mention another, another important component for a good training, individualization, that, that's the key component. And uh, every time you look at that studies, if you pull up the individual figure responses, you're gonna see people respond very well across the board. And people, some people also respond bad or badly across the board regards the weekly set number. So again, uh, is that extra? If you think about absolute gains, like uh, I think to date, the, the greatest gains for hypertrophy, uh, we talk about uh, Schofield. Uh, I think the sum of muscle thickness, if, because he measured VL and Rex femori was 1.3, whatever. And then you have a NS, we have a day study from my lab now with a one centimeter change. Uh, doing 12 week sets in average. So track your training, track your volume and see how you're responding. Uh, you, I like to say for some people training high volume is the good guy. For some people might be the bad guy. Uh, I, because not don't want to be repetitive, but every time you look individual responses, we see that people respond very well, average and bad regardless of training volume. Maybe you are in that cohort that did very well with a high volume is, is fine, uh, but uh, some people don't need, again, it is a genetic, is a fiber type thing. There's so many factors we need to figure it out when it comes to uh, how people respond to different training volumes. But uh, I, I don't think it's fair to say that, oh, high volume is the way to go for everybody. It, it, it might be, maybe, if you think about individual responses, uh, one out of five, one out of six, if you look based on the percentage I see on those studies, uh, most of people uh, average responses, but again, uh, use when it comes to use scientific information, don't get, maybe the check home messages, don't get the last paper published to make a uh, decision about your training program. Uh, uh, look, look look, the bigger picture, the, the other findings. And uh, again, there is no clear benefit of, uh, as, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm, you enjoy doing high volume, you feel better. Maybe like, a, hey, the mirror is telling me I'm doing better. When I look myself posing, I'm looking better with a high volume compared when I used to do less volume, for example, Increasing work, uh, we do have a not training people, but across different populations. The most way, the the most used or common way to overcome exercise no response is increasing duration and volume. Yeah. So again, uh, some people like to train harder when it comes to weight. Some people like to some people like to train more with more work, and it's fine as long as the 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 results they they meet your expectations I, I just like a uh yeah data is is not that black or white telling the extreme volumes is the the way to go uh read the whole paper please that's always important 
uh, when do like, like I said, uh, we all have our biases, uh, but uh, most when it comes to a researcher, I, I think their biases come from uh, observations. Like again, I have been collecting data for 20 plus years at, at this point. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's is 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 maybe my my take home message. Yeah. Like uh, try it, 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 again as long as the training uh, incorporates. Uh, individualization, progression, testing, and monitoring, it becomes try and error. You're your own scientific experiment at that point, right? It, it, it is. Like, we, 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 we did that. Like, sometimes our, our own experiment uh, is, again, uh, I, I understand the social media, how it works, everything else, but uh, uh, I, I always need to lean on data. Uh, and, and, and again, if I look at average 12 weekly sets, one centimeter point five, and I look uh, and it's with uh, 52 weekly sets, the same the same muscle mass accrual, 1.03, I guess, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, do I need to go 52 sets? Is that worth it? Again, maybe for a professional bodybuilder, competitive bodybuilder, maybe that makes the difference. Uh, and it's fine. But maybe someone, uh, um, and again, like if you look at all the bodybuilders, like uh, do they all always train high volume? We know that not every bodybuilder does always high volume. Some do, others don't. And they still all look very big jackets right they are so they're huge and, and uh, regardless some are training for high and low volume uh, i i think it's a good way when you look at bodybuilding uh we 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 know that not every bodybuilder trains the same way semi quantity level of effort exercise and you look at the stage usually they they they, they all look uh, of course some difference but size wise they, they they look very similar <laughs> i think that's really well said like when i look at like the biggest even natural bodybuilders like they I, I know their training is very different and when i reflect upon even people i know in the industry competitors who like i could look at my training program versus theirs and they could look quite different in many ways but we both have significant amounts of muscle mass have over the years progressed really nicely and for me at least it's nice knowing maybe there's like maybe there's many roads to Rome, but maybe your road to Rome is just different to someone else's. Yeah. And that's where that self-experimentation comes in. And I think science and people like you, uh, Eduardo, are doing a fantastic job of giving us kind of uh, goalposts to kind of aim at. But it's like, hey, our goal might come from a different kind of uh, direction within this net. And the only way to discover it is, I think, at least with volume, my kind of uh, philosophy is start with the low end, see how you're responding, and then maybe adjust from there because like you said there's individual difference but as we talked about before as well like individual muscles also respond very differently too you might find you know quads need barely anything or maybe they need loads and uh, you're a sucker like i am uh <laughs> yeah no and again like we think about upper body we have a very like a manipulating weekly sets and upper body we have a very few studies we have a three studies at this point like a uh, the, the, the studies that I mentioned and no clear benefit from 30 weekly sets all the way to uh, 18 weekly sets or nine weekly sets, things look very similar. So it, 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 again, like uh, 
training volume for chest. We, 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 the people train, they, they, when they are training, they do, they do bench, they do like a exercise targeting the chest, but usually, I don't know, I, I get why, because we did an intersect stretching study and we measure muscle thickness for back. It's way harder when you talk about upper lower limbs, but uh, weekly set number for chest uh, grow, I, I, I don't recall any study. Uh, hamstrings, I don't recall any study. Triceps, some studies, those studies, I think Brad, Brigato, they measure triceps. Uh, but again, like, uh, yeah, it's, I like what you said. We are giving people the references, some, and, and not necessarily that should work for everybody. It, it is your starting point is this, and, and people respond different. That that's yeah. I, I like what you said, and I agree for that. Amazing. Eduardo, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great chatting to you. If people want to keep up to date with uh, the research that you're doing, uh, the work that you're doing, where should they head? Uh, I'm more active. So yeah, no, first, thanks, thanks for having me. Was was really excited. Uh, and uh, it was a very nice conversation. Uh, I enjoyed to, to be here and, and discuss a few things and share a little... Uh, a little bit of things I do. I'm, I'm more active uh, Twitter, um, and uh, I think my IG account is more like a, is a little. I, I share research, but it's a personal whatever. But uh, yeah, I think Twitter and, and uh, IG, Instagram, like uh, again, uh, are, are the people can and, and and I don't know, like uh, the yeah, just those are a good 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 place to to find my my research. And ResearchGate, it might be, uh, I'll also I'll link research, that one. Yeah, I was about to say ResearchGate research and PubMed. So like yes, ResearchGate is the social media for researchers. Yeah, exactly. Where, yeah, <laughs> uh, ResearchGate and PubMed is where we publish our index paper and the, the, the things. But uh, yeah, so, and reach out. You can find my email at UT website <laughs> at my university. Uh, reach out, send over an email. We we. I can share data, I can share uh, research. We know that access to uh, papers uh, for general population is not that easy, right? But yeah, that this is it. Thank, thanks thank again. You. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. And guys, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, talk later. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it and we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You will receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicut movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.